0: Hello, listener. Come, have a seat here by the fire. This is an episode-by-episode watch-along podcast for the new Wheel of Time TV show. Unless you're listening at some point after the inevitable reboot. In which case, this is a podcast about the old Wheel of Time TV show. But never mind that dark future, and never mind the Trollocs. Here's the podcast.
1: Share listeners, here is Nevermind the Trollocs, I'm Sarah, my pronouns are she and they, and whenever I found out that the uh, Wheel of Time production based was going to be in Prague, I immediately downloaded the Duolingo app and got about a 160-something day streak in Czech and yet the costume supervisor for it has never emailed me back, not once, um maybe someday
2: Oof. I'm Nina, she, they pronouns and this was the first episode so far that had moments where I was like, mm, I don't quite buy that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Tom? Tom? Where's Tom? Tom's not here. Tom's dead. I'm Max. I use he and him pronouns and my Wheel of Time L is that I can also summon animals when I get really mad, but it's only a swarm of parakeets. It's Not as useful as a bunch of wolves.
0: <laughs> That's still pretty impressive, um... though. This
3: startles people.
0: I don't summon any kind of animal when I get mad.
3: Max, what
1: color do your eyes go whenever you summon the parakeets?
3: Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked in the mirror when I do it. Bright green. Uh, i green.
1: Cool. That makes sense. Does it? (laughs) Is that green, right?
3: Maybe. I think they're usually white and blue, maybe?
2: There's a few different varieties.
0: Also, wolves are not yellow-colored. <laughs> what are the color of a parakeet's eyes? Oh, very philosophical question.
1: I'm looking
3: this up. I want to know. I need it. Next time I go to Petco to buy food for Jimmy, I'll look at the parakeet section to see what color they are. No, I guess they, they, they're green sometimes, but they think their eyes are just, like, black.
1: Their eyes... If these eyes... I'm looking at pictures of parakeets right now, and if these birds' eyes were on a human, it would be the freakiest thing.
3: It, so the They're like whitish-yellow. The, gre- like the green little... ones have yellow eyes. Or orange eyes. Yeah.
1: Actually, they've kind of got the eyes that Parent oh. had this episode.
3: These are really pretty birds.
1: Yeah.
0: I think if I saw Max coming at me with eyes like a parakeet, <laughs> I would probably say, Light, protect me. What are what you? What are you? <laughs>
2: All I can think about now is the fact that there is a flock of South American parakeets in Brooklyn that are uh, probably pet shop escapees, and they live Mm -hmm. in this beautiful old cemetery. (laughs) There's just a ton of them.
0: I think they're just straight up parrots. I don't think they're parakeets. Although, I'm going to be honest, I don't know the difference between parrots and parakeets. Parakeets are tiny. They're usually like, like four
3: inches tall. They're, the, they're like the green with the yellow head or like the white with the blue head you see in like pet stores a lot.
2: Yeah, people keep mm. more parakeets as pets. Parrots live a lot longer
3: and are a lot bigger. Damn, like,
0: Yeah, like 80 years old. It's crazy. How do the rules on parakeet summoning work, Max? Do you get like all the parakeets in a certain area? Do you get like a number of parakeets or like a certain mass of parakeet?
2: Your weight worth of parakeets?
0: <laughs> yeah, I can only summon up to two
3: kilograms of parakeet at any given time. Now that's a D&D spell. Yeah,
1: Folks, yeah, this week we watched episode 5 <laughs> of Amazon's Wheel of Time, Blood Calls Blood, or perhaps Feather Calls Feather, who knows it anymore?
3: <laughs> I think birds also have blood, Sarah.
1: Jury's out on that, I'm not really <laughs> sure. Um,
0: leave a, leave a episode... bird near Eamon Valda and we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah he did eat one um this episode we dealt a lot with loss um not just the loss of our dignity for a caught for talking about parakeets for about five minutes but also the loss of some aesitai and soldiers at the start of the episode we lost um steppin at the very end so kind of all throughout this episode You know, I remember Tom last week being like, God, this is a show about loss. And I, having watched episode five, was like...
3: (laughs) Just nodding, (laughs) nodding and smiling.
1: So, uh, do we want to kind of start out with there, with all our funeral scenes that we have? Well, why don't I
2: launch into the recap and then...
1: Yes, I forgot about that whenever (laughs) we were talking about parakeets. (laughs) Please recap for us, Nina. After the
2: battle with Logain and the remnants of his army, the Aes Sedai bury friend and foe before continuing on their way to tar a month's journey. Everyone is concerned for Stepan, Karini's warder. Warders aren't supposed to outlive their Aes Sedai, and his grief seems no lighter than when she first died. After returning Karini's ring to the tower, Alana offers to bond Stepan as a warder. Despite the offer and the watchfulness of Lan and his other friends, Stepan commits suicide his funeral forcing Lan and Moraine to confront not only the death of a friend, but the pain they risk themselves. Tower politics won't wait for Lan's grief or Moraine's worry to subside. Alana approaches Moraine to warn her that her long absences and constant secrecy have left her with few allies and two very powerful enemies, Leandrin and the Emerlin Seat herself. After Nynaeve's incredible act of healing, the Aes Sedai assume she'll become a novice, and the different factions are already planning how to win her to their side. Perrin and Egwene run into trouble when the Tuatha'an caravan is stopped by white cloaks within sight of the White Tower. Child Valda, the questioner who stopped them before, recognizes the two and demands they be handed over. The travelers form a human wall and are beaten. The two rivers' youths try to run, but it's no use. Both are captured and bound. Perrin is tortured, his screams muffled by a gag and his eyes flashing golden. Certain that Egwene can channel, even if she isn't Aes Sedai, Child Valda tells the two to decide. Either Egwene channels and he kills her, or she continues to insist she cannot, and he kills Perrin. Left alone to talk, Perrin insists he should be the one to die, and confesses to Egwene that he accidentally killed Layla. Instead, when Valda returns and continues to cut up Perrin, Egwene calms her mind, and channels. The tiny fireball that leaves her hand makes Valda laugh, but it was only a distraction. She also untied Perrin. The young man's looming height and gold eyes terrify Valda and he forgets about Egwene until she stabs him in the back. She and Perrin leave the tent only to find the whole camp overrun with wolves, wolves hunting and taking down white cloaks. They run into the dark woods and the wolves let them go. It takes Rand and Matt a month of walking to get to Tarvalon, and Matt, sick, irritable, pale, is much worse for wear. They stop at an inn to rest and get cleaned up before seeking their friends at the White Tower. Exploring the city, Rand meets the Ogier, Loyal. Taller and broader even than Rand, with a rumbling voice. At first Rand thinks him a monster, but Loyal's demeanor puts those concerns to rest, and Rand winds up telling him that he's looking for a friend, a young woman from the two rivers. The sound of drums outside signals the arrival of the Aes who captured Loghain, and Rand runs off to rejoin Matt. The two watch the procession from the window of their room at the inn. After seeing Loghain, caged, mad, Matt extracts a promise that Rand will never let him become like that, and Matt promises the same for Rand. They spend the rest of the day in their room, Matt sleeping fitfully, shivering, and sweating. A knock at the door announces Loyal's arrival, and just as he's explaining that Ogier are allowed on the grounds of the White Tower, and that the Two Rivers' braid is quite unique, Nynaeve bursts into the room. After an emotional reunion, Rand and Nynaeve talk out of earshot of Matt. Rand is certain Matt can channel, the signs are all there, but he no longer feels they can trust Moraine and the Aes Sedai. Nynaeve is certain they should not. Once they find Egwene and Perrin, they should return home, and decide what to do for Matt amongst themselves.
3: Nice. This episode made me pop off so many times. Oh my God. You Mm -hmm. know when an episode literally has you like pumping your fist on the couch, it's a good one.
1: Yeah. Um, I do think it was maybe the best one we've had so far.
3: Mm. I'd say so. I don't
1: know. I don't think it's that useful to like rank them, but you know, Mm -hmm. It's certainly a big high. Top eight
3: Amazon's Wheel of Time episodes.
1: <laughs> Which is kind of weird because it's like, it's definitely absolutely like the most tragic. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. It's the
1: most like, we are going to like wallow in, the, not like wallow, mm-hmm. but like really dwell on all the characters who have died and the consequences of that mm-hmm. in this episode particularly.
3: In you're On the other hand, you're also going to get the best character in the entire show. So, you know, everything in balance. You mean the wolf? the one that goes woof
0: woof and then (laughs) eats a
3: white cloak (laughs) be much more
0: specific (laughs) i mean this episode is like a payoff episode right it's a lot of storylines coming to their conclusions basically coming to their their climaxes at least um and there are still some some like running questions matt's situation obviously but we get our characters arriving where they were trying to go for the most part
1: yeah, yeah. I was taken by surprise by the like anime time skip at the start of the episode. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. One month later,
1: but also incredibly relieved because what else is there to do until we get to Tarvala? Right, like, we might as well just go straight there. <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't need <laughs> the huge extended montage of travel sequence.
0: I do remember this being an absolutely like awful part of the book. Just a really long, boring. Nothing happens. Everyone is miserable. Sequence of like Rand and Matt going from one inn to one barn to one inn <laughs> to one haystack. Yeah,
1: and instead we just cut to them, and you 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 look at them, and they're like, "Yep, they have been absolutely miserable for the last month."
0: And I think to give you a little bit of the behind the scenes for the never mind for your never mind the Trollocasters here. Uh, when I got Nina to start reading these books, I think she got to this section in the first book and was like, "This is terrible. I don't want to read this anymore." <laughs> I was like, no, no, you have to keep going. I promise.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's a slog. And everybody's had like one or two adventures on the road, which is plenty. And we can skip ahead now to Mm -hmm. reuniting Mm -hmm. everybody at Tarvalon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And like, here we are. I made it.
0: It does abbreviate a couple of storylines, like the whole Perrin, like eventually coming to a point where he can open up to Egwene about the thing he did to Layla, that felt a little bit like... Mm. Because that was an element that wasn't in the books, I've been sitting here thinking like, okay, how long How long are they going to let this ride? How long are we going to spend with Perrin, like, miserable and locked in on himself? And it turns out, exactly five episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think... I. There was no... It doesn't really seem like there would have been any kind of benefit to extending that anymore. Like, the culmination of Perrin discovering he can summon wolves or I guess just summoning wolves and being like oh this is his deal and they sort of him finally telling someone that he killed his own wife like coincide um, although weirdly I don't they don't feel like they are connected mm-hmm. I don't know
0: yeah there's no sense that like now that you have like now that you have come clean and made peace with yourself, you have the power to summon wolves. It's not like yeah, it's not like one is a reward for character development in the other.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: they don't feel connected at all. But it it didn't feel rushed to me to have him tell Egwene at this point. He's gotten so close mm. to telling her a couple of times before already. He clearly wants to unburden himself to someone, and yeah. Mm. It being in this scenario where it's like, oh, well, he can kill me instead of you. And I feel yeah. like a horrible person anyway. And so we should just go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt like it worked. Uh, yeah, I know.
3: It, it, it made sense to me for this to be when he says it. Cause like he's convinced he's about to get, he's about to die. So it's like, you know, I'm going to tell someone before I go out. So he doesn't like take it to the grave with him. But I think that, I don't know, I think it kind of has the potential to work well him admitting this because he admits it and then oh he's does not actually dead and he also has wolf power so it's like by revealing that it's like he has I feel like that baggage is gonna be sort of intertwined with the wolf thing. Just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. poor Perrin having so much to deal with all the time.
2: Well it gets foreshadowed by him noticing the big old dogs of the Tuathaan that have mm-hmm. like killed and are eating these mm-hmm. deer. I enjoyed the foreshadowing of the wolf attack in that, you know, Perrin noticing the dogs and still trying to contend with this idea of nonviolence. And Mm. how does that apply to, you know, even the animals that these people keep? And Mm Aram saying, you know, we all know there's violence in all of us. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, naturally drawing some comparison between. Berserker mode, Perrin and the wolves. Mm -hmm.
3: At at the Mm -hmm. same time, that conversation struck me as a little disingenuous. More so looking at it now, because you have, like, you know, seeing, you know, go on Twitter and it's like epic internet owns, and you see like a vegan pet owner. It's like, they're dogs. They kind of have to eat meat. It feels a little strange to me for them to be sort of applying this philosophy of the leaf onto animals who don't know any mm. better, who have this instinct to them. That it felt weird that Aram's response was, We all have violence in us, and not they're dogs. They're not people. They don't really have to or get to make those decisions. And it's like, I don't know. Like, if I were a vegan, I'm not going to make Jimmy eat like beans all the time. Like, I would recognize that, no, he's a dog. He needs to have that kind of diet. This is coming at it more from, like, a, I guess a more scientific mm-hmm. standpoint than, like, what the show's... I, to me, it just felt strange. Like, I feel like you could have tied the philosophy in a lot better, especially with, like, the end of that scene with the Tuatha Caravan meeting the Children of Light. Where, like, I felt like we didn't need the scene of, of you know, Perrin applying philosophy to the dogs eating meat. Because, like, I feel like he's already discussed a lot of the Way of the Leaf, and I think there's ways he could talk mm-hmm. about, you know better discuss incongruities with what they believe than with animals who literally don't know any better
0: i mean i think yeah i think if he had been talking to isla she might have had a more nuanced uh explanation for this i think the show has already established that aram is like not totally on board with the way of belief.
1: also yeah and aram has been like quite sort of like Pretentious isn't the right word, but he's like, ah, oh, I'm your tinker buddy now. He's very slick. Like,
0: he's very, he's like, he's he's cheeky. charming and cheeky, and he always has a clever response to everything, but he's it's yeah. clever, not necessarily right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: High
0: charisma, um, low intelligence.
1: Because <laughs> I... The, like, the thing I noticed about that is that Perrin is talking about, like... Please, no more turnip stew. Like he's like, These vegans, I just want to eat a steak, please. <laughs> like, that's the thing I noticed about that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um But also coming to what Max said about like dogs and instinct and stuff, and then connecting that to like Perrin Wolf mode at mm. the end of the episode, like I very and you you're been you saying stuff like for the dogs. Them being like, oh, there's violence in all of us and stuff like ooh, animal instinct. I noticed that like whenever Perrin like breaks free of his bonds and he's like wolf mode or whatever, he doesn't like do anything. All he does is like walk at yeah, Valda. He just hawks at And him. then the person that stabs him is Eggway. Mm-hmm. Like in this episode, like, you know, Perrin, there's no Perrin does not do any kind of violence.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: um he is just like menacing um and like the the uh, like again talking about instinct um the thing that gets his eyes to go yellow mode is physical pain like it's like a it's almost like a physiological response it's, it's like not a reaction like, yeah it's like a instinctual instinctual reaction to being tortured.
0: And it's so different from the way Egwene touches the source. So directly contrasted to it. Because she has mm-hmm. to let go. She has to drift, be she has to, you know, basically disassociate from her body. Whereas for Perrin, it's right there in the body, that embodied like rage.
2: That was one of the scenes that I had trouble with though, that that she it feels like It clicks a little too suddenly for her. It she goes from like struggling to try to like teleport a knife to her hand all day to like, oh, I just need to meditate and then I can throw fireballs and simultaneously untie Perrin. (laughs) Like that Yeah. And then to have Valda, who has been so creepy and unafraid, freak out (laughs) when Perrin just stands up and looks at him and looms. Mm-hmm. Uh, that felt like a bit much. I don't know.
0: I mean, I get the, mm. the terror of the unknown that Valda is accustomed to dealing with Aes Sedai and accustomed to imposing his will on women who are in his power, but mm. not so much with these like glowing yellow eyed, giant hulking uh-huh. m- men folk. Um, yeah, I do think it's a little much that he like drops his dagger out of fear yeah, out of being mm-hmm, startled. Mm-hmm. I think you probably could have structured that scene in a way that felt a little more true to the character. Maybe he put the dagger down on the table before Perrin broke his bonds. or I don't know. You could have done it some other kind of way. His reaction feels mm-hmm. too extreme, but I buy that he would have some kind of extreme reaction.
4: Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm.
0: to me, the
3: most sort of distracting and annoying thing about that scene was that by going sleeveless, he has stolen valor from Quattro Bagina. He's kind Valda of jacked, though. He's not earned
1: the right to no sleeves. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a look.
3: He, like, he looks good in it, but it's, yeah, I, I, going back to what you said, Nina, I think that if we had seen, like, the whole day, Egwene like, trying to meditate and calm herself, like, as soon as she was strapped into that chair, I think I would have bought the scene a little bit more. Like, because <laughs> it does feel very quickly of her just like, oh, meditate, I remember that. Like, if she had been, like, trying to get to that point all day, I think that would have sort of flowed more naturally into it
1: it feels to me like the way that scene is constructed it feels to me that the like switch for her now being able to channel was Perrin telling her about how he mm. personally like killed mm-hmm. Leila, and like because they, they have this emotional like um climax culmination of things where Egwene finds out that he killed his wife is visibly shook by that, but then ultimately understands that that doesn't actually really change anything. That like it still wasn't his fault. And it's like whenever she realizes that, then her determination to channel is like ever more so solidified. Like her determination to have herself be the one killed and have Perrin be the one to live, like is like is solidified. And that is when she sort of unlocks. Inner will to be able to do channeling.
3: It's like a super saiyan situation.
0: Well, but it's very clearly not, because she has to be clever. She has to be thoughtful about the way she does it, because that whole thing of like distracting Valda with the little fireball while she's using other bits of like magical fire to burn the ropes a little bit, like that's cunning in a way that like. Nynaeve's big explosion of healing magic at the end of the prior episode was brought on by those like powerful emotions like that was a super saiyan moment mm, yeah okay yeah
1: mm, yeah
0: Egwene's has to be more uh measured
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think we're all forgetting that or not forgetting but we've got to consider that that scene comes immediately after Nynaeve gives a big speech about how unbreakable Egwene is
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: (laughs) So what I think happened is that Henguin was not able to touch the source and do badass things until we'd heard Nynaeve give the speech about how she couldn't be broken.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yes.
1: (laughs) She read the script and she knew she wasn't allowed to do it yet.
0: Point of order. I know that they're called the White Cloaks, but after Valda takes his cloak off, he's just wearing a shirt. They're white shirts. (laughs) They're what? Well, so...
3: (laughs) The... Troubling similarities between the Children of Light and neo-Nazis and white supremacists just really keep coming, don't they? Because, you know, once they roll up on the tuatha On and the tuatha On all non-violently link arms, what do they do? They just start beating the shit out of them. It, it's like watching, like, a modern protest. It was genuinely unsettling for me.
1: And, like, it came to me when I was making my notes that this would have been filmed, like, pre-2020. Mm.
0: Oh my god, Um, yeah, even more like... God. The only way they could have been a little more obvious about this is if they had had all the on have shields. Just like shields and nothing else.
3: (laughs) Yeah, do you get it? Yeah. Do you get it now? If you look in the background, you can see some of the white cloaks holding tiki torches.
2: Well, (laughs) and if they wanted the white cloaks to be sympathetic, there is like a thread there to pull. You know, why should these women who happen to have been born... With access to the source, why should they run the world? Why do they have this monopoly on power and get to like manipulate all these people's lives? That's mm-hmm. a fair <laughs> consideration, mm. but they make him so villainous in the process. Yeah. There's clearly not, <laughs> and clearly
1: so like anti woman too. That Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cause like the, the, the difference between the way Egwene is treated, and Perrin is t- treated w- when they're brought in. Like Egwene is like ritualistically cleaned as if to be sacrificed. Which I mean, I guess they are kind of intending to fucking burn her at the stake or whatever afterwards. But mm-hmm. like Perrin is just trussed up like a like a wild animal and brought in.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and the um the way that they strip her and clean her and stuff is also clearly meant to like frighten her and make her feel vulnerable
1: and exposed. Mm-hmm. Ah. Right. Yeah. The the side note, like the sound design in that scene. Oh my god! The just, uh, scratchy brushes. Really really it's just
3: <laughs> like, the way they like rip out her braid and everything.
0: But like oh alternating yeah. that with the normal sound as Valda is walking towards the the tent really mm-hmm. makes it work. Yeah. yeah. Is all of this stuff with Valda and the children of the light here to help us sympathize with Leandrin? Yeah. Who has that whole speech about, like, Yeah. women wield the power, but out in the world, like, men still control most things, and they are rarely kind to women who show signs of being greater than them.
1: Yeah, yeah. That makes it, a lot of sense.
3: It is a good way to, like, sort of blur those lines a little bit. Another thing that I found a little interesting is that they're captured by the White Cloaks right outside Tarvalon. Like, you would think that this entire giganto fantasy manhattan like you'd think that there would be a little bit more of like a a force or a guard or something outside the city but like the fact that there's really nothing you can just walk over a bridge and you're in the city and like it's like the aes Sedai like aren't even paying attention to what's directly outside their lands like it, mm. it it gives you the feeling that they really are like most of the time like just kind of locked up in their towers like worrying only about themselves and their own matters and like <laughs>
1: they're the literal white Cloaks, ivory tower. They're
3: literal ivory tower. The white folks are just kind of free to do as they wish because they're not paying attention to like what's literally right on their doorstep. Hmm. Mm.
0: Maybe they're both bad.
3: Tab.
1: <laughs> Tab, <laughs> really?
0: Max, you cannot have two bad groups in a story. <laughs> if
3: it's not spelled out for me, I can't enjoy media.
1: Okay, now imagine this. What if there were three bad factions or mm-hmm. more? <laughs> Endless, oh. endlessly bad factions.
3: This is
0: getting really complex. I'm not sure that I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, one one bad guy, please.
2: Uh, Tone it down uh, a bit. Did everybody notice that Valda's lunch is again a very obvious
1: whole animal?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: He's <laughs> Old, eating a little piggy. small animal. Yep. Just the, the Valda's entire like attitude and way of carrying himself is like he's so cheerful and it makes it so much more sinister than if he were creepy like this this actor is fucking killing it so good
3: I really liked how he constantly corrected Egwene whenever she tried to call him sir he's like child Valda like (laughs) even when he's completely in control he still has this like false sense of humility about him that he still insists on being called child Valda
2: I think that's entirely about putting the other person on the wrong foot and that's why he's always correcting Mm, oh don't call me sir call me child Valda Oh, the light doesn't need instruction. The, like every time people are trying to be pious to him, every time people are trying to be respectful,
4: yeah.
2: it's like no, I still need you on the back foot. I'm going to correct mm-hmm. every damn thing you say.
3: Mm-hmm. I can't wait till yeah. he gets killed for real because he's definitely not dead. Yeah, this is this is that kind of show. If I don't see the life leave them. They're, good. They're alive as far as I'm concerned. Tom's yeah. still alive. Okay, but Tom's dead,
2: though. No, Tom's still alive.
0: If we don't spend an entire episode having three separate funerals for them, are they really <laughs> I dead? I know,
3: yeah. <laughs> if I don't see someone <sighs> pound their chest about them, I'm not going to believe it happened.
1: <laughs> um, But another thing about Valda like, that struck me is that he is, like, Loghain's insanity is, like, regular normal... Like quote unquote madness, like Matt's weird vibes. That's like also kind of like right, relatively like you. It's like yes, this is madness, madness. But like the way Valda is and all his actions are also like fucking insane, but like in the most sinister way because he loves it. Like he just absolutely thirsts for blood, loves to do this shit, and is sort of the worst of them all.
3: Are you saying he's the Joker?
1: Oh my God, he's the Joker. <laughs> He's kind of a joker. I mean, he
2: is basically like head torturer, right? Yeah. I assume that's what the questioners are fundamentally is torturers. So, Mm.
0: I mean, the thing about Valde is he isn't even the boss. Yeah. He's just like one questioner. He's an entry level employee.
3: Yeah. He's low on the rung. Um, Valda's whole deal, and I guess the questions as a whole, kind of are an interesting parallel to Leandrin and the Red Aja. Because mm. they have not the same, but like similar roles. Like, you know, the Red Ajas, from what I understand, their role is to hunt down people who could like, you know, threaten the Aes eye, And Valda's role is to hunt down people who threaten the Order of Light or what have you. And they're both, you know, very like creepy and conniving and manipulative while still trying to be very cheery on the outside but like you can tell no one actually really likes them at all.
2: They're a bit like cults they're true believers
0: Yeah, mm. they, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid
3: Yeah Damn Yeah.
0: I do love that Leandrin is just a very awkward person Oh my god, I love like, like, when, Her when... conversation with Nynaeve where yeah. she's like
3: mm. Simmons. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's like okay, it's, yeah, yeah, uh, it's, yeah.
0: It's how I feel when I'm trying to be nice to like a five year old that I encounter at a Christmas party or something. Like, <laughs> what are you into? Libraries? Persimmons? <laughs>
3: yeah, I can show you games on my phone if you want.
1: <laughs> I'm cool. Yeah. I'm with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I was thinking of the like the moment when she's like touching Maureen's face, like kind of flirtatiously, and Maureen is like. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, um, like Valda, she does the touching. She does lots of touching which well, you mm-hmm. don't want.
2: And she does it while negging Moraine. She's like, yeah. you look a little worse for wear, darling.
0: <laughs> you used to be so pretty when you were in the tower more often.
3: Yeah, it, it's like she read a book on how to effectively communicate with people, but didn't get that far in it and only knows that touching people and being like friendly and personal is good, but still talks so <laughs> fucking rude.
1: Yeah, she never got to the chapter about <laughs> pine Yeah, hilariously,
2: in the scene following that, when Alana goes to talk to Moraine in Moraine's room, Alana is eating a persimmon. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice touch. Also, Moraine, take your boots off when you're on the bed. I know. Alana did it. Someone has to clean those.
1: Oh. We got Alana free feet pics, but Tom, her boots are
2: home.
0: Oh, is, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> I also like that Alana did not get the memo about no free feet pics.
3: Yeah, you should have blurred her feet like uh, Brandon Sanderson's
0: feet. (laughs) Um, Um, You want to give some context for that, Max? For that statement you just made? For those words that just came out of your mouth? This
3: (laughs) noted infamous author Brandon Sanderson, what, gave her interview with his shoes completely off and his feet completely in frame to the point where they had to blur it. Just wear shoes. Oh my God. It's not hard.
2: I don't know. I love being barefoot. Shoes are terrible.
0: But you, you don't like being on camera.
3: It's not illegal. Barefoot is legal. If, if I, if I'm giving an interview, I'm going to cover up as much of myself as possible. I'll wear gloves if I have to.
1: Okay. For some further context, it wasn't like an official interview, it was just like a YouTube thing with another YouTuber. So it was a little bit more casual, and I can see why you'd be in that environment and be like, alright, let's go. Anyway, speaking of Barefoot is Legal and Alana, just y'all, are y'all also getting the vibe that like the Aes Sedai just casually fuck each other all the time? Because that's absolutely the vibe I'm getting. Oh, Mm -hmm. so
2: this maybe betrays The fact that I, uh, figured some things out about myself late in life, but I thought this was just, like, nice girl talk times, like I had in high school with my girlfriends. (laughs) They're just girls being pals. Yeah, just (laughs) chilling on the bed, gossiping like you do.
0: My impression, my read on this, was that Uh all of them had sex with each other a lot when they were novices, or, like, apprentices, when they were younger, and, like, Mm -hmm. now... They're all, like, frenemies.
2: They're all too careful around each other for that now.
0: Right. This leads into,
3: this is like what I was saying with, like, my notes of what to talk about. The White Tower is just magic high school. Like, it's so catty. There's so many factional politics and cliques and, like, literal cliques. You have all the different Aja. I know they hang out (laughs) amongst themselves, but, like, you know every single thing anyone says to nine even the white tower is like watch your back everyone here is a liz warren snake emoji like it it's just it, i mean it's a much more interesting magic high school than certain other you know another ya franchise i'm not going to talk about but <laughs> i don't know it, it like i really like that it's 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 a fun way of i, I wouldn't say humanizing but like you know the Sedai are not all powerful. When they all get together, they hate each other's guts. It's like a bad family reunion almost.
4: Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And that Moraine, her... She clearly feels like the level of secrecy that she follows is necessary, but it actually mm-hmm. harms her too. Because yeah. since nobody yeah. knows what she's up to, she doesn't really have any allies and barely yeah. any friends.
3: Everyone's like, we don't know your deal. Like, can you say something to us? It's 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 really good. It's like she she definitely feels so much more guarded and secure and more wise than everyone else, but like it, it's it's like the conversation that Alana has, like where she talks about how both the Amarlin seat and Leandrin are like kind of out for blood and like she is a huge target because no one knows anything about her, right? It's like Moraine would be terrible at Among Us
0: because she wouldn't talk with anyone. <laughs> Moraine is sus.
1: Moraine is sus. Blue is sus. I do, Blue is sus. But I do like
0: the characterization of the different Aes Sedai as like even for Leandrin and Alana who are more open and talkative, that's their strategy. That's not just like them being normal. Like mm-hmm. that's how they approach this like complicated power game. And Moraine approaches it by being quiet and not speaking unless she has to. Hmm. And keeping things locked inside. You know, it's that like when you can only when you can never say an untrue word.
2: Easier to not say yeah. anything.
0: Yes. Mm. Or to just like talk about frivolous things, which is what Alana does. Mm. Or to just be extremely weird, which is what Leandrin <laughs> does. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knew a Leandrin yeah. back in high school. <laughs> the thing about Leandrin though is she would never say you cannot sit with us. She wants everyone to sit with her. Everyone. She really does.
3: She wants everyone to sit with her so she can get dirt on them.
1: She would no. She just wants naive to sit with her so that she can have the most powerful channeler ever in her clique.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, and Moraine even says like, "Yeah, you're not getting it. You're not getting there."
2: I love yeah. the the vibes of. It's like picking teams for sports. <laughs> like, yeah,
0: it, yeah. She's really. the
2: best one, and every team wants her.
0: I do feel like Moraine saw Nynaeve looking at Leanne and was like, oh, thank God. She's not going to join the
1: Reds. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What do we actually thought... Because there's an interesting conversation that Moraine and Nynaeve have quite near the start of the episode, Mm -hmm. where Moraine is almost trying to, like, not, like, threaten Nynaeve, but, like, warn her strongly about, like, Tower politics, Mm -hmm. and Nynaeve responds to this by, like, threatening back. She's like, well, if I'm so powerful, maybe you guys should be afraid of me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, bluster and
2: confidence is what's gotten her to where she is in life. She was an orphan who became the wisdom of the two rivers.
0: When she was, like, 25. Yeah. Or, I mean, younger. Who knows how old she was when she took the position.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get the sense that that is her coping mechanism. Make yeah. it till you make it. Bluster. Be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And that's how she gets by.
0: She's very good yeah. at among us. Well, and Moraine, Moraine sees right through it, right? She has she indicates that Lan should leave, and then she's like, I know you're actually terrified. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. So was I.
3: So was I, every yeah. other
0: woman in this tower.
3: I loved that conversation. I like how the two of the most open moraine moments are her talking with another woman who's capable of using the source. With through the lens of her own experiences with it, you get the feeling that Mm. Maureen has a very hard time relating with people, probably because she can't do anything except harbor secrets. So, when she does have a nice, like, intimate moment and like talking with someone, you know, openly, like very heart to heart, it's through the lens of her own experiences as an Aes Sedai, and she's able to speak much more candidly because of that. And I feel like, yes, she's using it to show Nynaeve that she can relate to her, that she should trust her. But at the same time, like she is being very genuine here and she's trying to help Nynaeve both because she doesn't want anyone else to use Nynaeve, but also because she seems to like, at this moment, at least genuinely care that Nynaeve is like doing
0: okay. Mm. And I also loved that conversation she has with Lan about where is home. Yeah, because Lan is like home is the White Tower, where all my warder bros are, where we're safe. And Moraine is like we are not safe in the tower. I only <laughs> feel safe when I'm far away from the tower, <laughs> with no one else around except you. Yeah, yeah. And Lan is just like, but, but my bros. Because
1: <laughs> mm. mm. everyone like has a different reaction to arriving at Tarvalen, because like this is the Tarvalon centric episode. Like Moraine is like, great, here we fucking go again. Um, Egwene is so excited to be at Tar Valen. like that really struck me when she comes bouncing into frame and she's yeah. just like have you seen the tar the tar is over there we got to the
3: white He's tar we've never woo-woo-woo. seen her like this before
1: it's it's so good to see especially because she really gets through some shit this episode like she deserves to be so happy and then there's like Nynaeve who's like Fuck. <laughs> and Rand and Matt like Rand and Matt arriving in the city and being like, wow, the, Rand," because Rand is like, wow, the big city. The big he does apple. the like, spinning around in Times Square montage <laughs> kind of thing. And like, then but then like, he's like, i got to take care of Matt. Takes him to an inn and Matt's like, aren't we going to go to the White Tower? And he's like, no, Matt, what if we didn't go to the White Tower, actually? like."
0: Taylor Swift has been re- re-recording a bunch of her old <laughs> songs. Do you think that she would be willing to do a version of New York has been waiting for you that's about Tarvalin? <laughs>
3: Oh, good. Yeah, put a pin in that. I'll see if I can rewrite some of those lyrics.
2: <laughs> also, uh, it's such a quick shot. It's a second or two, but Padden Fane is here. He's mm. here clearly watching
3: Matt. Because mm. mm. I love, oh, I love that Padden Fane is like, when you hear the whistling, you got to like start looking around like he's like the psych pineapple or something because you know he's in frame somewhere. I had not noticed I, that.
0: I, huh? I had not noticed the whistling. Yeah, you hear the whistling.
3: I definitely the first time when you see his hand, like as soon as they enter the city. And I think after the procession, I don't know if you you see him again, but like I think. He oh, might do also you see him the when they I go only in. saw
2: him one time during yeah, the same. procession. Ooh. Oh,
3: you, Max, you are the official Pat and Fane spotter.
2: Ooh. Yeah.
3: No, so it, it's like at the end of the processional, he's like, you know, like under an awning and kind of walks away. When they first mm-hmm. enter the city, I think when they enter the inn and like check out their rooms, like the camera pans, you see you just see his hand walk away. It's like a shot from ground level, looking up at the like the balcony that they're in, and, and like he, you hear the whistling, and he walks away. So he's there twice, I think. Hmm. Cool. I'll have to yeah, check that out. Mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, That's your pattern watch for the week.
1: Because I noticed him whenever I was first watching the episode, and then I rewatched it the first time, and then I rewatched it the second time to take notes, and like I didn't notice him either of those times. Um. And the reason I didn't notice it was because I was too busy like looking at other extras who all have yeah. these beautiful Central Asian eye cuts robes and I was just I because every time we're in Tarvalan I'm like, oh, there's like a different extra to look at. there's more costumes to see, all this stuff to look at. Oh, oh, I'm like completely forgot about my and fan mm-hmm. until uh, you mentioned it again in the notes today
0: the um the scene where they entered Tarvalan makes me think so strongly of I-, I don't know if you guys have read this book called Dinotopia, but it's a, like, fake travel log from the 1800s of, like, what if these shipwrecked people wound up on a lost island where dinosaurs are still alive and they have a whole complicated civilization based on, like, humans living in harmony with dinosaurs and influences from all of these shipwrecked sailors. It's gorgeously illustrated, which is the Mm. best thing about it. It's also well-written. Anyway, um, (laughs) and there's a scene when they get to, like, the capital of dinosaur civilization. And it it feels like arriving in Tarvalin. They're in the middle of a festival. People are like carrying baskets of flowers and vendors and everybody wearing all these cool robes and all these cool colors.
1: The streets of Tarvallin actually kind of remind me of the Shadar Logoth streets. Yeah. Like they you brought those mm-hmm. to life. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar like the buildings are very tall.
3: The architecture
2: uh-huh. is very similar. The streets are similarly narrow. I, yeah.
3: gosh, I mean, the reason I'm calling Tar Valen Fantasy New York is, like, it is this huge melting pot, both culturally and architecturally. Like, it, it, it's just very striking that, first of all, the White Tower does not look like what I expected it to look. I expected it to look Me
1: neither. More Same.
3: like the white gold tower from Elder Scrolls which is a very tall thin spire but this is like this is a pretty fat tower um it's a lot it, it lo- it's a lot more like functional I guess mm. but the entire city has like this beautiful mix of architecture it's like middle eastern northern african there's like some sort of like old turkish architecture in there like it's all sorts of it's all over the place and it really sh- you would think, because you see people walking camels around and stuff, you'd think it'd be like an oasis city, but no, it's like on the lake in like a deciduous forest. Like, mm-hmm. it, it mm. is not where you'd think it would be. And also next to an active volcano, too. That's pretty cool. I'm sure that's nothing.
2: A volcano yeah. that Rand feels like he's seen before. I'm sure that yeah, I'm has sure that's no significance mm. whatsoever. I'm Which I believe it.
0: the um, if you mouse over the video, the like extra text you get on that does identify that as dragon mount. No, mm. well, it's probably nothing. Then there's a cool, yeah, name. yeah, Inspired. not significant at all. No,
1: yeah, like the the white tire itself, like again, like it's so short compared to what it looked like in my head, and mm-hmm. honestly, like I am kind of disappointed in it.
3: Yeah, like same. every
1: time I look at it, I'm like, what's this fucking chode? I don't know. I'm not, but, but I also, wasn't gonna, like... I wasn't gonna
3: be the one to call it
0: that. Thank you, Sarah.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, by making it shorter, they made it even more phallic somehow. I don't know how they did that.
0: And, like, (laughs) the way that White Tower is described in the books, it's, like, unbelievably tall. It's, like, so tall that the only way to build it would would have been magic. There's no possible other way to build it. And uh, this looks like a tower that could have been built by people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: it's practical.
0: Yeah.
2: But they may have tried out a taller tower in... Some of the like virtual effects, and decided mm. it looked silly. Just,
4: like yeah. they
2: they may have ex- tried a couple of things and decided that it didn't mm-hmm. work. And they do mention it was like it's a fortress as well as a a school and a capital. It was besieged
1: at one point.
2: Mm-hmm. It
3: mm-hmm. it looks defensible the way it is, both the tower and the city now.
1: And I mean like either way like it's still clearly very high from what we get whenever like Stepan is putting the ring into the ring melting mm-hmm. pot like it's clearly very high and all the scenes inside the tower like the windows are just this beautiful like Islamic style like lattice work in their patterns and it's all and that just makes all the light coming through the windows this like gorgeous like cacophony of shadows it's all incredibly beautiful inside. It's just that every time they show a shot of the outside, I'm like, why are you so little? Why are you so little?
3: It's like, you could argue that it looks way cooler on the inside because it's more for the people who live inside it. Because it's certainly (laughs) the biggest building in the world to everyone else. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this is one of those moments where I have the benefit of not having, like, read the books or anything because I have no preconceived notions. So I just say, wow, cool tower. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Like, I didn't. I didn't quite expect like fantasy isengard or something like that but yeah I don't I I I I like the way it looks. I think you know what? I think I almost like it more because it's not fantasy isengard because it looks more realistic than like a thousands of foot high spire piercing the clouds.
1: Yeah, because actually, like, if it had been a thousands-of-foot high spire piercing the clouds, people would have been like, oh, he, Lord of the Rings, here we go yeah. again.
0: Yeah, having having just done a literally the Minds of Moria episode, like, two episodes ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want to invite that comparison too many times.
1: Mm, mm, mm. Um, Having mentioned some Lord of the Ringsy stuff, i Feel like we could move on to talking about loyal.
0: Oh, you mean the oh, best yes. character in the entire show? <laughs> Extremely Lord's Lord of the Ringsy here.
1: He's very he's he's rather. Um, you humans mm. are so hasty. <laughs>
0: well, you don't make any sense, but you are very small. Yeah. <laughs> I, Why are you so
3: little? I had no idea we were going to delve into fantasy races. Like I thought this was just a world of humans, and then we see this big guy. I'm like, oh my god. And I love, like, it's such a silly little thing. These like, Rand's like, you're an ogre. And he's like, Ogier. So <laughs> it, it it tells you a little bit. My read on that was that it's almost like an in-joke to the reader of, like, they call themselves the Ogier and And the humans hear that as ogre. And, like, that's a word more for, like, the reader in the real world mm. than the people in the fantasy world. But it's just so cool. Like, it, it came out of completely left field, but didn't feel weird it didn't feel like i wasn't like oh boy now we're doing an ogre is here but it's just like ugh, i love loyal he's my best friend he's great <laughs> i
2: also enjoy that like dana mentions the ogier when she talks about things she'd like to see in the world she mentions mm-hmm. an ogier studding.
1: yeah and it's actually whenever loyal mentions like oh this never happened back in the studding, and rand is like studying Oh, like from ogres. And he's like, Yeah. Yeah. So like the steading is the thing that makes Rand be like, Oh, you're no here.
2: Mm-hmm. But also that Loyal, even in this huge city, uh, when he first arrived caused a ruckus. People were afraid. Most mm-hmm. people, even in a place like this, have never seen an Oakier.
0: And Rand yeah. doesn't make the connection explicitly, but one rather thinks he sees this kind of messed up looking guy come in and he's like, Oh shit, that's a trolley. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, not a troll, a trollic. Yeah.
4: Well,
3: and also, even if he was revealed to just be a trolick, it it's funny that I kind of forgot about the Trollocs and was like, <laughs> oh, cool, a fantasy is here. Because, like, the Trollocs almost aren't a race, right? They're like aminals. Yeah, and I almost did think so. at first, and I feel like that might have been the intention of... To make you think that he's like a trolloc who read a bunch of books or something <laughs> like i'm trying to i know that there's many books and games that do that that's like you'd think he's like some sort of bestial race but no he has intelligence and the personality and everything but it's just like i don't know it still fits well and yeah like there's settings, but this is the only other place in the world you'd expect to find one of these guys like in in the big persimmon <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love that. that's the episode name right there <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so
1: good I'm gonna bring us down a little bit cause oh. like well not so much but my initial reaction to Loyal like my first thoughts when I was first watching the episode was actually very negative hmm. Um, I again book reader preconceptions of what an Ogier looks like things like that i was not quite sold on his maybe not his design but like also his like way of being and way of speaking because he comes in and he just starts talking and keeps talking and it feels like he's doing a, a like just a exposition monologue type speech and like from first reactions you you, you know you eventually kind of realize and settle into me like that is just his way of speaking that is what he he is like but like my first reaction to him was like oh well like what is this this is weird like this is freaking me out and i am actually wondering if the reason i had that kind of reaction was actually just fucking internalized ableism Mm. on my part because he he does very much read as i like someone or the type of character who is supposed to evoke someone on the autism spectrum
0: I kind of get that. Uh, This is kind of how I remember it from the books. It's been a long time since I've read them, and I know you've read them way more times than I have, but Mm -hmm. this is just what I remember Loyal being like.
1: You are, no, you are absolutely right. (laughs) Like, he is so much like this. He knows so much. He loves talking about stuff. He is so wholesome. And, like, watching it again on a rewatch, they absolutely, like, nailed his vibes. Um...
0: I even love the sort of embodied physicality of the performance. He's like, Mm -hmm. this is a, he's just like a slow moving, giant bodied dude. Everything is laborious and measured. Mm -hmm.
1: But he (laughs) actually, he speaks fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like he, he just wants to get all the stuff he knows out. He wants to talk. But slower than the humans.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I was—I appreciate that, like he doesn't talk quite as slowly as the Ents did in the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, if we had to hear loyal talk and he's talking like this, I'd be like, "All right, come on, speed it up, dude." (laughs) Um, like a personal anecdote of mine, I used to go to a summer camp and worked at a summer camp for kids with Tourette's and Asperger's and autism. That was like run by the Children's Hospital outside of DC. So, seeing loyal, I liked that part of him. Mainly because it like brought me memories of like all of my friends and the people I worked with at that camp to the point where it's like, it didn't, it, it, I don't think like many of the first goals with that character were to portray, Mm -hmm. you know, like a type of neurodivergency in a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. If it is, you know, that's one thing. And that's like kind of cool because you don't see that in a lot of places. Um. Mm -hmm. But honestly, for me, it was just like, oh, you know, it just reminded me of my friends, not in a bad way or anything, because like th- like some of the nicest people I've ever met were at that camp. And I, I don't know. I-, I think that might be some of the reason why I like Loyal so much, just because I feel like they captured a lot of those mannerisms really, really well in a way that doesn't like highlight it or poke fun at it or anything. Mm. Again, it's it's a very, very sort of specific to me situation with him, but I think that might be part of the reason why I like Loyal so much.
0: I would say Loyal is probably the first character we've encountered in this show that I would just like to hang out with. I would just yeah, love to hang guy. out with Loyal.
1: Oh, God, yeah. It feels like what they are going for with Loyal is... And like, this ties into perhaps some of the problems with how, uh, like, autism adjacent stuff is represented but it feels like what they're going for is is trying to highlight the fact that he is not a human he is not accustomed to interacting with humans and he has a different way of interacting with the world which like you know kind of ties into a wider like discourse about like you know you have the kind of data spock poster childs of like characters that act like they have autism end up being like non-human characters and robot characters and stuff like that but i don't like i don't know if loyal contributes to that or
3: Mm. i don't know Mm.
1: it's just i'm thinking about it i have no conclusions
3: i think it could be a harder comparison to make or harder to justify if we were to see like an ogier setting and if they were you know, a lot more like the sort of fantasy trope of ogres and it's like just this one mm. guy who's a <laughs> lot more thoughtful and less, and you know, like less socially adept than the others or something like that. But I think the fact that we only see Loyal and we don't see, you know, we don't have the potential to see, oh, a bunch of barbaric big beefy guys <laughs> in the woods. I think that makes it shines it in a more positive light, I guess.
1: It's so good how, like, unbothered unflustered, chilling he is. Like, Ron pulls a sword on him, and he's like, well, whatever.
3: Mm -hmm. Very funny little Ielman.
1: I also
2: enjoyed the, uh, I don't know, just as part of establishing another culture in this world that they use language very differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as, as, as something distinct from the cultures of people we've already seen and the way people talk and communicate. Like, here is this other... Group, this other culture, and the way that they talk and communicate is very different. And it made me think a little bit, they're not at all related works, but it made me think of Embassy Town, if any of you have read that. It's a China Miaville novel, and it's hmm. about uh, an alien race who don't have like symbolic language. They only have language Ooh. for things that actually like physically happen.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah.
2: And about the, the, like, introduction of symbolic language into their culture by humans.
1: Ooh,
3: and hence the introduction that, yeah.
1: of lying. Oh, oh, that's spicy. I like that.
2: Yeah, hold on.
3: Yeah. I'm writing this. It's called Embassy Town? Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. I gotta check that out.
1: Because <laughs> the other thing I really like about Loyal is, like, the way Rand interacts back to him. Because, like, there's this moment wherever, like, what is it? It's like Rand is looking at the travels of G.N. Forstrider, and Loyal's like, oh, why are you sad? And, like... They end up talking and Rand says like a rhetorical, sort of rhetorical question of like, oh, you know, a friend of mine thought she was Jane Rider." And Loyal starts being like, oh, well, that's very unlikely because of such and such. And like Rand is very quick to like clarify to Loyal that like, no, that's not what he meant.
3: It it, it Um, felt true to life.
1: Yeah. But also that even though
2: Loyal has these like miscommunications with humans, it's not as if he's totally not savvy. He can tell Rand is sad. Like, he can read that emotion on Rand, even though Rand hasn't said anything to indicate that. Like, Mm
1: -hmm. I couldn't read that emotion on Rand. Like, I, you know, I could see he was, like, kind of, like, wistful, but it feels like Loyal has even, like, a greater insight and is very, like, connected to, like, what Rand was feeling on the emotional level. Which is nice, because, like, he avoids that kind of, like, human-robot character trope. Yeah. Um...
0: What are emotions?
1: Yeah, like...
0: (laughs) This is illogical. Mm -hmm, yeah. An man from the Two Rivers is illogical.
2: (laughs) Yeah, in case anybody missed the hints that Rand maybe has some Aeel in his ancestry, Mm -hmm. we're gonna just really hammer home
1: Yeah, That, like, whole set of dialogue of, like, you're not an man. You're not an (laughs) Aeelman. Like, an Aeelman from the Two Rivers?
3: It, hey, going back to what we talked about before, I don't even think on air. It felt a little Abbott and Costello-y.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't talk like you know, Sarah. We had to explain who Abbott and Costello are to you. <laughs>
1: um, I was just gonna say, like that interaction about the I'm not an ailman, you are an ailman. Like that's what flipped the switch on me for loyal in the end where i was like okay this actually no like what what, everything that they're doing fucking rules like this is great like i'm used to this like it's so good i think it was like by then that everything i was feeling about like again the uncanny valley of like the way he moved spoke acted like by time it got to the ailman conversation i was like okay no we're here i'm i'm with you yeah you got me back
2: Um,
3: One thing we haven't, not to completely change topics, but one thing we haven't really talked about in this episode yet are the funeral scenes.
2: Yeah, that's the last big...
3: That's like the big thing. Because that's what bookends the episode. The very beginning we get the funeral for the battle, last episode, and in this episode we get the funeral for Stepin'. And one thing I really liked about the visual language that they use in these scenes, in the first funeral they dig a needlessly elaborate ring of graves. And they even bury the king. A wheel? That's what I'm talking about! <laughs> and, like, it's this, you know, a, a very sort of honorable ceremony. Like, I think you see Alana sort of, like, wailing silently before everything. everyone gets buried, because, you know, Karina's there. And... I think that is contrasted quite nicely with, you know, the dead surrounding the living when they're at the white tower and step is like sort of on the plinth there. It's the living surrounding the dead. And it's like the exact same formation. Like, you know, this like double layered ring around the the people in the middle. Um, Both scenes. I mean, the latter scene, especially, but like very powerful and emotional and like really stands in contrast with like me pumping my fist when Perrin went dog mode. Like, (laughs) Good stuff.
1: Yeah, I like. I honestly, I can't put my finger on what it is about what this show is doing to represent loss and grief that is so much feels so much more real and raw than anything else I've seen. So much
2: of it is just that they spend the time. I think in a lot of yeah. uh, in a lot of media of all kinds, whether it's books, shows, games, whatever. When characters die, not a lot of time gets spent on that. Mm -hmm. And here we have most of an episode that is about Karini's death and funeral and Stepan grieving and ultimately dying, and then his funeral. And so even just like taking the time to show us that and to show us people being sad over an extended period. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And there's an emphasis on ritual. We see the ritual of the wheel of the graves. The ritual of returning the ring to the melting pot, the ritual of the like the wearing the white for the funeral, thumping Mm -hmm. the chests. Each of these different groups has a different specific ritual for these different situations. And the rituals expand beyond just the funerals. We see Steppen like doing his prayer to ward off the forsaken. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not a coincidence that when he kills himself and Lan finds him. He's in the shadow of the statues of the warders of prior yeah. generations.
1: Mm. The tomb of the unknown warder. Well, and he <laughs> almost harakiried himself. Like mm-hmm. mm. like connecting all these things. I noticed that in the first funeral scene, Karini fun- and everyone's, the big, the, the wheel of funerals scene, like Stepan is there mourning and like Lan comes over and like puts his hand on Stepan's shoulder. And like that is a thing he does about five more times yeah. in this episode, like including when he finds Steppen's body in front of the table of the unknown water, and and at the funeral, at the yeah. end, mm-hmm. like it's all just, it, it just sort of like connects these things. Yeah, and the um, the the acting just in
2: terms of everyone's faces and facial expression and the holding back tears vibe,
4: Mm -hmm. and
2: also Lan's physical acting with Moraine. Mm. Yeah. Uh, That scene where he comes in and kneels next to her chair and just, like, puts a hand over her arm. Like,
1: throughout this whole episode, uh, Lan doesn't... Like, obviously he starts yelling and beating his chest and tearing his clothes off in the final scene, but up until then, he has not really expressed that, like, savage emotion, but we see Moiraine do so. Yes. And it feels like Moiraine is, like, visualizing what Lan is feeling internally until the last scene whenever Lan Mm -hmm. expresses it, like, and he expresses it, like, ritualistically.
3: I think that is one of the things that is so effective about how they portray grief in this episode, is something that I don't think I really have ever seen anywhere else, is that you see characters who haven't lost anything yet worry about losing, like, their partner or their warder or whatever. Like, I feel like in a lot of media, and I could be just missing things completely, but, like, when someone dies, a lot of it is, like, being sad they died. I feel like you really don't see them deal with people thinking, Oh shit! Like this could be me, and I the show does it so well in like that. So like, there's the scene when Bland puts his hand on moraine after. Um, was that that wasn't after Stepan had died? I think I think that it's was, after no, the it's, first it's,
1: funeral, after
3: Karini's yeah. funeral. Um, yeah. Oh okay. yeah.
1: After he Stepan puts the ring in the yeah. After he puts it in the fondue pot. pot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the soup.
3: <laughs> um. But. When when uh, Lan has his hand over Steppen's body, like the emotion in Moiraine's face as she's like staring at Lan and oh. like fully feeling oh. that fear he has of losing her is like, oh my god, it's goosebumps. It was so good.
1: Yeah. Heart wrenching. Yeah. yeah. And like, and I will talk more about this in spoiler section. I think, but like. The fact that I feel like this expressing emotion and feeling emotion seems to be very important and very central to the show. Like you know, in terms of like with the arc with Perrin and Lila, uh, you know, Perrin feeling all the stuff about Lila, and then you also have like Maureen and Lan, and like everything about the Warder bond and the fact that the like the dramatic ending to this episode is. Not even so much Steppen's death, but the dramatic ending to the episode is Lan expressing all this emotion and feeling all these feelings. Um, it just, I don't know, like, it, it's very, it seems very clearly set up that this is very important to do in this world is to have feelings and express emotions.
0: And in a certain sort of way, that focus on the final funeral and the contrast between the warders in black most of the time and then the warders in white for these specific funerals and ceremonies starts to suggest that the bipolar dichotomy between good white and evil dark is false. Mm. That it's actually the world needs a mixture of both of them, mm-hmm. each one in its time, in its place.
2: Mm. I loved the acting of the, the guy who plays Stepan in this oh, he episode. Was so I good. thought he did an incredible job. I did have a brief moment after Lan wakes up from being drugged with the tea mm-hmm. where I wasn't sure if he had gone to kill himself or to kill Loghain.
1: Yeah, I thought he, I thought he might have gone
3: mm. to kill Loghain as well. Yeah. I think um, I would like to see a scene next episode. Maybe the kids all get to the White Tower, and I would like to see Matt confront Loghain. Because we're definitely, I don't think we're done with Loghain yet. They really, like, sowed the seeds of, I don't know, the way he pointed and laughed at Matt. I don't know. <laughs> Something's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can tell that seeing, like, like, first of all, like, Loghain in this episode versus Loghain in last episode, where last episode he was, like, sitting cross-legged, calmly, and collectively in the middle of his ceremonial cage, and then when he's introduced in this episode, he's got a fucking just a pet play shot. Neck.
3: Yeah.
0: I don't think that him, like, laughing at Matt literally happened. I think that's Ooh. Matt's wow. brain. Because huh. the cut back to Loghain just sitting there is too fast. There's mm. no... They don't show us Loghain, like, mm. sitting back as I would expect them to do so. It's just, like, Matt's freaky yeah broken brain imagining things i like that yeah Yeah,
1: because the the shot of Logan looking up at matt like it zooms in on matt and like all the sound goes away and we get that like the same like distressingly high-pitched whine that we had in like the parent torture scenes kind of thing like we get that and like the sound goes away and there's a grand is like hey matt hey matt hey matt hey, buddy, buddy, and, like, he, when he finally comes to himself whenever, like, Logan leaves, it's... Yeah. To Okay, to be fair, for, like, book reasons, I do think it literally happened, but the way it's shot doesn't make it seem that Yeah, way. it feels a bit,
3: like, dreamy or... Yeah. Yeah, Asian. it's so... Yeah, I mean, going back to, like, because, Nina, you said you thought Steppen would go kill Logan. Okay, I thought Steppen was just gonna, like, OD on the T and, like, pass away peacefully in his sleep or something.
1: That doesn't seem like the warder way.
3: No. Nah, yeah, because well, then
1: why he's... why drug
2: Lan then? Mm.
3: Yeah, I don't know. It, like it felt like he didn't expect Lan to sit with him all night or something.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, just all the warders being like so like broy with each other this episode, and like I think you can you can sort of tell that they're very much constantly worrying for Steppen's safety. Um, but trying to help him move past that almost in the same way that like Rand is constantly worrying for Matt's safety, but like being as jovial as he possibly can, yeah, that's I mean, it's
2: so much of how they treat stepan feels like things that friends try with someone who's really depressed, like mm. it's not as bad as you think it is, or some new thing will come along and make it feel better or. I'm on suicide watch with you tonight.
1: (laughs) Join our (laughs) throuple.
2: Yeah.
0: It feels like this is a playbook, right? This is what you do Mm. in the rare circumstance where a warder loses their to die, Mm -hmm. And clearly the success rate is not high.
1: Yeah. Because actually, like, whenever I was watching this episode with my flatmate, um, at several points during the episode, they were like, like, they were like, "Oh my god! Like, is Stepan going to be like ritualistically killed because his Sedai die died and now he has to die as well?" Like, <laughs> that was like, the, the not so much because that is evident in the episode, but there's just like an ominous vibe the whole time that like Stepan and like when they're dressing him ritualistically in like funeral white, almost yeah. like they're going to bury him, and then like they do bury him in that later on. Like,
0: well, they do the um when they do the procession into the city, they have. Kirane's horse there, and it's mm. got her boots, uh, yeah. like, backwards in the saddle, which is an actual, like, funerary tradition. Oh, really? Um, and, yeah, yeah, um, mostly for, for military funerals, which fits for a green Eye oh. Sedai. Um, but in the, like, original version of this tradition, you killed the horse. You sacrificed the horse so that the dead rider has something mm. to ride in the afterlife.
1: Shit. I'm glad we didn't see that. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't sacrifice the warder so that the Aes Sedai has something to ride in the afterlife. That was a very Ah. insensitive joke, considering um, a lot of people died for this. (laughs) That was a great
0: joke, though.
3: Uh, Save a horse, ride a warder.
0: (laughs) That's it, folks. We're done. (laughs) Stay tuned after the credits for... uh, Never mind the spoilers. We've
1: peaked. Um... (laughs) yeah did i have anything to get to before no i feel like i had something to bring up before never mind the spoilers oh um the last thing that i wanted to like mention because we we sort of touched on it during perrin's arc um and and again it's something that i want to bring up now because i sort of want to keep tabs on it um is that perrin's like emerging story arc about like Animalisticness and how that could potentially play out um, with him being cast as black, um, sort of centered around that, like the word, like ooh primal, ooh instincts, yeah. and just the sort of potential racial connotations of that. Um, like it's something I've been a little bit like, it's it's something that they could potentially. Fuck up majorly, but I don't think they will.
2: I think the presence of so many other black characters in the show takes exactly. a lot of pressure off of that. It's not mm-hmm. that your only black character is yeah. this, uh, like primal, uh, berserker. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um,
2: and
0: like the actor's doing a good job at primal berserkerness.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, it really helped that this episode he didn't do any kind of violence.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. This is this is this is going well. Let's go. My only other thing was the the reunion
2: of Nynaeve with Random Matt and Loyal being yeah. like, "I found your friend." Was the other thing where I
1: was like, "Really? That's how we're gonna do this?"
2: Yeah. Okay. Yes. I
1: like. It feels like there was a scene missing in the yes, middle.
3: Yes, because Nynaeve clearly met Loyal in the garden because he literally says, "Oh, we O'Gear are able to traverse the garden of the White Palace or whatever." <laughs>
0: It, yeah, it does. It does feel like there is a cut scene of them in the garden. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like It's like
3: it's like the audience can easily fill in the blanks, but it still felt weird to just cut immediately. Like, oh, by the way, Randon, Nynaeve and Mata reunite. It's like, oh, okay.
1: All right. It was very abrupt.
0: You know, we get the, the foreshadowing kind of with Leandrin mentioning the garden to Nynaeve. Yeah. So maybe if we just had a scene of Nynaeve like walking into the garden... Yeah. yeah. And the Ogier yeah.
2: charging up to her. You must be from the two rivers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't even think we need that. I think if we had a scene of Nynaeve going into the garden and just like enjoying garden stuff. Just just
3: Denethor eating a persimmon just <laughs> and then o- <laughs> Loyal shows up.
0: No, it's just like no no Loyal in this scene. Just Nynaeve in the garden. Mm-hmm. Then we, we cut, we go to some other scenes, then we go to Rand in the tavern, Loyal being like, Did you know O'Gear are allowed into the White Tower Gardens? I found you these persimmons and also your friend.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just like Ron's reaction to like Loyal coming in and telling him all this stuff. He's like, what, why I, why should I care? Oh, Nynaeve. There he is. There she
3: is. (laughs) Oh, I do have some predictions before we go to uh, spoilers mode.
1: I'm ready to write them down.
3: So uh, I think I said this last episode, Tom's still alive. I don't think I made an official prediction. Well, he's right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, Valda's still alive. I think we're gonna see Valda. I'm assuming Valda's like the only survivor of that attack. I I feel like we're gonna get like a fucking punish Valda type situation where like he's he's still in the light, but like he's even more of an asshole about it. I would like to see him get like a sort of like showdown with Perrin and Egwene again, and Perrin's like, I'm not gonna like, you know, he wants to fight, and Perrin's like, I'm not gonna kill you, and Egwene's like. I'll kill him. Something cool like that, you know, girl boss type moment. Um, and lastly, Patton Fain's definitely a dark friend. It's less of a prediction, more of me just confidently saying that based on the only what little we know about him.
1: Well, who can say if that's right or not? Certainly, none of us. We just we don't <laughs> know this. <laughs>
3: that's so all. No, we're
1: do. just giving. I'm just giving you free points.
3: Yeah, yeah. That doesn't center of my bingo sheet. <laughs>
1: Alright gamers, Uh, that's everything we can legally talk about for those who have not read the books Um, hurry up and read the books so that you can listen to all of this podcast without being punished for it um, by us anyway (laughs) thank you for listening Uh, check out our description for all the links to our many other podcasts and things we do on the internet and where to find us and uh, what to do um, I hope you have a nice day, and we will see you on the other side of the spoiler zone. Let's, uh, let's fuck it. Sorry, I mean, Tovian, this is again. yeah actually cuz i mentioned it in the episode about emotion like um i think it's very significant that emotion is being established as such like a, there's like a baseline of having feelings is good here um just because of the arc that rand goes through throughout the books while where he's like building pink floyd's the wall around himself and removing emotions from himself and like how much that is A big deal for him
0: yeah what is it he says He has to be hard like hard like steel like he
1: he goes from he's like i have to be harder than steel and then he's like i've got to be harder than stone and then he's like i've got to be harder than quendiar the hardest substance known to magical man like he just really it's like the most so cringe in
0: retrospect it's it's so bad
1: yeah um and like this episode I feel like in the books, the person who, like, guides him towards that is Lan. Like, because book Lan is, like, the most toxically masculine character in, like, Mm-mm. all of fucking media. um, Which is why, like, this episode ending the way it did, I was like, holy shit, like, this actively, like, changes how the plot of the books could play out. Because Lan is not emotionally available.
0: <laughs> I f- feel like Rand can sort of happen upon that ideology on his own probably mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. not not particularly hard to um when you're a young man to determine that what you need to be is is like strong and hard and inflexible and without emotion
2: well and it, you know uh we've already had the introduction of the meditation for channeling and so the idea of like meditation as a way to calm or distance yourself from your feelings could mm. definitely be a thing um that sort of stoicism
0: i have been surprised by the complete absence of the like meditation technique that his dad taught him in the books there's this whole thing like feeding all of your feelings into the fire yeah. thing that that tam teaches rand that he uses for sword fighting and then that rand like learns to use for other purposes later
2: we might get a flashback to that if we ever actually see Rand fight with his sword. Lately he's been carrying it around, but we actually have no clue if he knows how to use it or yeah, how well. Yeah, he knows how to wave
0: right. it about.
1: He knows how to use a sword about as much as I know how to use a sword.
0: I feel like in the books part of what that like part of that mentorship that Lan does for Rand is that that meditation technique that Rand learned from his dad is basically the same one that Lan uses. Yeah. And yeah. so Lan is then like, well, let me tell, you, let me teach you how to do it properly kind of <laughs> He's thing. He's like,
1: I already know how to do it because mm-hmm. I'm the protagonist. Yeah, but like in this series, Rand is not the protagonist, mm-hmm. which I think is important to like note.
2: We've also established Rand as this pretty like cheerful and well-adjusted young dude. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, whether they're going to have, whether they're doing that to like, set up a really stark contrast when he gets kind of grimdark or <laughs> whether they're
1: going to rework that mm-hmm. yeah i just like the fact that in robert jordan's we live time world like masculinity and the way that men were like we've got to this is what men are like was like was quite toxically masculine um and like the femininity was of a similar way like quite toxically feminine um whereas in the tv show they're much more like well adjusted and like either that would make things like less realistic whenever shit goes tits up because people aren't emotionally well adjusted or is really effective at establishing a baseline for how a well adjusted person should act and then when the characters do kind of become a little bit unraveled or unhinged it's more effective and just i'm waiting to find out What does everyone else have for Nevermind the Spoilers? I have more things on my list, but... All I really had was Rand
2: being like, oh, I feel like I've seen that mountain before. That's one of his past lives, right? Like, that's his past lives starting to speak to him. Also,
0: wasn't he born there? Like, Mm. wasn't he born on the slopes of the mountain?
2: Absolutely. He wouldn't remember that, though. He was a baby. You don't
0: know that. He's the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. He might be a baby, but he was a baby protagonist. He
1: remembers everything. He's not the protagonist.
3: He was the strongest baby in the world.
1: If he remembered everything, he'd remember being Pardail. Because I noticed that he looks at Dragonmite, he's like, I've seen that much in somewhere before. And then he goes into town, and one of the next scenes he's in, he is reading a copy of the Koreathon cycle, and like... In like, cause I, I noticed because I looked at the book, I like paused it and I was like, ooh, the Koreathon cycle. Like the the book that contains the prophecies of the dragon? oh what's this? But I actually noticed, like, in that book, one, there's there's a little drawing of a dragon, the animal dragon. Um, and also, just interestingly enough, the script in the book is not the Roman alphabet. Like the script is a um like the sub-created writing system, which fun facts I just that's neat Eldish.
0: yeah that is neat
1: so yeah I'm wondering if like Rand has seen Dragonbound read a little bit of the koreathon cycle is starting to put things together like does he know is he becoming the man who can't forget
0: I mean he still thinks it's Matt does he I mean he says to Nynaeve think Matt can channel
1: he says to Nynaeve that Matt can channel but that doesn't mean he thinks Matt's the dragon
0: hmm I just, I don't think we've seen anything to indicate that Rand is starting to think that maybe Rand might be the dragon.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think we'd see a lot more, like, worry and anxiety from him and, like, anger and fear if he thought that he was the dragon.
1: Mm. Mm. I don't, I don't think that maybe he consciously thinks he's the dragon yet. Mm. But I just think he, like, I don't know, again, because of the way he was in, like, the first episodes like I feel like Rand has a lot of internality to him
0: I just in that um in that exchange where Matt is like promise me that if it's me you'll never let that happen to me mm. and Rand is like yeah of course I'm, I'm there for you buddy I'll, I'll protect you even as you become the dragon mm. and then it's only as an afterthought that Rand is like oh well and if it's me you would do the same thing right
1: because again like that's one of the things that makes me think that he is wondering in his mind like if there's something up with all this
0: I appreciated the um, the bit with the Forsaken. They've been mentioned before. Um, Have they been? Dana mentions Ishmael.
1: Did he? Did she mention that Ishmael was a Forsaken? I can't remember. I think she just said he was the most
2: famous of the Dark One's servants who brought yeah. the dragon to the Dark last time. Hmm.
3: Yeah.
1: But yeah, like I, I actively like I. No, because they talked about the forsaken idols and then I started looking at the idols and realized that I was able to like kind of identify who's the, <laughs> like there's one with really big titties and I'm like, ah oh, that's Grendel the horny forsaken and like there's one Grendel? who's really short um who
3: Grendel from Beowulf
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah Grendel from Beowulf um with and his there's, there's not <laughs> there's one who's really short <laughs> and I was like ah oh, that's Samael the forsaken with the Napoleon complex
3: so there's Ishamael and Samael
1: don't even worry about it
3: (laughs) (laughs) this is not the time for me to be asking questions
0: yeah i i did think the exposition dump there was a little inelegant um but i like the forsaken as a story element i'm always pumped to see them in there
1: Mm. i feel like as a book reader and a person who knows who all the forsaken are and what all of their deals is like that probably stood out to me more than it would have to a non-book reader. Like, I feel like a non-book reader would be like, oh, and like another little ritual they have and like more yeah. exposition about like how Stepan feels, um, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, that's how I took it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Probably the book reader thing again.
2: But to me, it felt like they were trying to introduce, oh, you thought the fades were bad. mm here is a bigger bad that's maybe trapped somewhere.
1: We're not sure. They're immortal. like
3: <laughs> Yeah, the fact that he has to ward them off.
1: Mm. Like, it didn't, you know, it, it felt like you go to your grandma's house and there's, like, a statue of the Virgin Mary, but, like, you're her atheist grandchild and you don't really care about that, but, like, she cares about that, and you're like, yeah, cool. You know, it didn't feel like something that was necessarily, like, the Virgin Mary's gonna kick on my door and try beat me up. <laughs> well, so I don't know. She yeah.
0: might. It's like um, they're like anti saints. It's like here are statues of the worst people in history. Mm-hmm.
2: We're trying to keep them away.
0: <laughs> Your vibes yeah. are so rancid.
2: Well, with with a bundle that looks a lot like a smudging stick, which I don't remember which tribes do smudging, but it's like a purificatory and healing. Oh thing. yeah
1: yeah sorry i just i just had the thought of like what if i do this to all my shower figures every night
3: <laughs> you better you get those nasty watch out of bumps. there
0: <laughs> otherwise char is gonna show up and kidnap you and try to turn you into a soldier
1: oh no i'm too old for that um <laughs> okay we legally we're not allowed to talk about char on this podcast uh what else have we in this what, what
0: laws what laws apply to this podcast
1: Cod law, <laughs> um,
0: the Antarctic Treaty.
1: What else? I back to parent stuff for spoiler zone. Like Max, what do you think? For, as a non-book reader, like what what do you think the parents, wolf is like actually are and do? Like from what you've seen,
3: I, um, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it is has something to do with the wheel reincarnating i think it's like in the hit 2011 <coughs> bethesda video <VU> game skyrim <laughs> <laughs> you play as a dove a dragonborn immortal a soul of a dragon i think that maybe in one of parents past lives he literally was a wolf or maybe was a werewolf or something i think it has something to do with that where like he literally has because the episode is like blood begets blood or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um I, I think for him, it's literally that like he has wolf's blood in him and that is allowing him to essentially like call his pack mm. 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 I mean w- with this world with like the one power, it's really hard to say because there's a lot of ways to write things involving this kind of like supernatural occurrences mm. but mm. based on what I know about the wheel, I feel like that that's what like that's what I think people would assume it to be,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh. I don't like, for Hoyt is adapted from the books, in the books, Perrin's arc is so internal to himself. Like, in the books, we are in Perrin's head and we can like, hear him like, hearing the thoughts of wolves and shit like that. But obviously you can't portray that on screen, so you have to, you know, they just did it more from Eggman's <laughs> perspective. I'd like that. What
0: if the wolves all talk like Scooby-Doo? <laughs> what if the the wolves all have Brooklyn accents
1: (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) alright gang I feel like we're collectively out of podcasting juice (laughs) yeah any last spoilers to discuss No. no spoiled out
0: spoiled rotten
1: (laughs) we are spoiled rotten we have been spoiled and we are rotten yeah time to for us to leave the big persimmon and depart on our journey. Um, until next week, you most spoiled of listeners. Um what do we say at the end of the episode? Um you can find the show on Twitter at Nevermindthetrollocs. You can email us at nevermindtrollocs at gmail.com, and you can tell all your friends about this podcast feed. It is at nevermindthetrollocs.com. Um, and until next week.
0: Sarah was lying a little bit. The Twitter is actually NVM the Trollocs. Fuck! And now she's dabbing. All right, we're out. Bye! Goodbye!